Hey there, wealth builders. You're listening to episode number five of the Real Estate CPA podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Hall, and my whole goal is to help you understand the world of finance, accounting, and taxes so that your real estate investments and businesses can be run more efficiently and profitably than they ever have before. I hope you enjoy today's show, and if you're looking for a killer CPA to come in and help you out, roll on over to the client's page, set up an appointment, the first consultation is free, and I promise you're going to learn something. Let's do it. One of the best things about being a real estate CPA and working with real estate clients and also owning real estate investments myself is that I get to relate to my clients on an investor to investor level rather than strictly an advisor to client level. So this means that I get to ask my investors or my clients about Hey, what what markets are you targeting? What markets do you like? What asset classes are you liking? What are the general trends that you're seeing in your area? It's a very cool experience. And I also get to share my personal stories related to my own units. So I have a three-unit property down in North Carolina. It's a great property. It's a, I bought it at a really sweet price. It rents awesome. My returns are astronomical. I was very lucky with this property. Um, it's it's down in, in a location where my parents are. So I kind of piggybacked off of their team to pick this up. I piggybacked off their property manager. Um, basically, my, my first investment property went extremely well, extremely easy. I realize it's not always going to be easy. And today's story kind of highlights that fact. Before we jump in, please like us on Facebook and also Twitter. Uh, We would really appreciate it. It helps spread our reach to a a new market, more people. And that's what we're really trying to do is just pass this information on to as many real estate investors as possible because there's a lot of misinformation out there and we want to make sure that people are receiving the correct information so that they can make good decisions, good financial and also tax slash accounting decisions. So jumping right back in, basically what happened was uh, a couple weeks ago, one of my tenants moved out, broke their lease. And it's just, it's one of those blue collar neighborhoods where I was just like, okay, just go. I'm not going to come after you for the lease. We need to kind of clean the place up anyway. And we're going to rent out the new unit. This, the tenant that moved out, he was inherited. So he came with the property. So I wasn't too sad about, (laughs) about losing this guy. Luckily, my parents, since they live in the area, they were able to walk the property and kind of tell me what the property manager might not have been telling me. So my parents basically told me, hey, you need to like basically rehab this entire unit. It needs new floors, it needs a new kitchen, it needs all this other crazy stuff. And keep in mind, my parents are successful real estate investors themselves. They invest a lot in this specific area. And they're also Georgia Tech engineers. So that kind of puts me at a disadvantage at any point in time where we're talking about what should we do to repair or improve the property. Um, And I actually rely heavily on their advice because they're brilliant when it comes to that type of stuff. The problem was is that they wanted to repair basically the entire unit. They wanted to rehab the entire unit. And it's a three-unit property, so it's a multifamily property. But me, being a CPA... I better understand the tax laws that come along with improving a property versus repairing a property. And as you may or may not know, an improvement, you have to capitalize it and depreciate it generally over 27 and a half years. But a repair is currently deductible. So it's actually in our best interest as an investor to deduct things as a repair rather than capitalize and depreciate those expenses. And another side to it, aside from the fact that you get to currently deduct repairs and you have to 
depreciate and recover your cost over 27 and a half years for improvements. The other side is depreciation recapture whenever you go to sell the property. If you're capitalizing expenses as improvements and you're depreciating them, whenever you sell the property, you're going to have to pay depreciation recapture on the depreciation amount that you've taken. So even if you can't take passive losses, which we'll we'll get into passive losses on a different podcast, but even if you can't take passive losses, we still want to deduct things as repairs when possible because we don't want to pay depreciation recapture on those repairs at a later date. So anyway, so my parents are pushing me to to repair this entire place and basically rip up the floors, put new floors in, rip up the kitchen, replace the cabinets, replace appliances, all this crazy stuff. And I was kind of like, well, let, let, let's pump the brakes a little bit. First off, we have to consider the neighborhood just as any good good investor would. Uh, let, let's consider, will a brand new unit demand higher rent? And I was already kind of at the top of the market for the neighborhood. Um, now, we were able to get a little bit more rent, but all of these new improvements were not necessarily going to allow me to charge a much higher rate. But the second thing and the biggest thing for me was how can I strategically plan these improvements so that I can deduct all of them? And I mentioned that it was a multifamily property. And the nice thing about about a multifamily property is that when you make repairs in one unit, you may or may not be substantially improving the entire unit of property. And with the final tangible property regulations that were released in 2014, there are nine units of property, essentially building systems. And one of the units of property is simply the building structure, and it consists of the floors, the roof, the partitions, uh, the walls, that type of stuff. So I had that unit of property in my mind essentially the entire time, and I was like, I want to make sure that whatever improvements we are doing to this unit of property are not going to be considered material to the unit of property or substantial to the unit of property. And as long as I can stay under that threshold, I can deduct what we would call improvements. I can deduct them as repairs. So generally speaking, there is a materiality threshold of 30%. Theoretically, if if I replaced all the floors in my unit, for instance, that would be replacing 33% of the floors. And that could be looked at substantially improving the unit of property. However, if I can strategically plan my, my floor replacements, then I could deduct them as a repair uh, because they're not substantially improving the unit of property. And remember, the unit of property is the building structure itself. So I was in kind of a dilemma because my parents, being the Georgia Tech engineers, <laughs> they wanted to just gut everything and replace it all. And I had to kind of say, hey, look, I totally agree that, that you guys you, you guys want to make it look nice. Um, but at the same time, I need to make sure that I'm going to get the best return on my investment. And to do that, I need to make sure that I can deduct everything as repairs. So the first part of that was that materiality threshold. The second part was keeping keeping these expenses and these repairs under $2,500 per the unit of property it affects. So the nice thing with the IRS tangible property regulations that, again, were released in 2014, uh, they came with a couple of safe harbors, actually three safe harbors. One of them was the de minimis safe harbor. And if you follow me on Bigger Pockets, you've seen me talk about it a few times. But basically what the de minimis safe harbor does is it allows you to deduct repair expenses as long as those expenses are under $2,500 per invoice or per line item on the invoice. 
And it's important to note that this is a book conformity rule, which means that you have to be recording it this way on your books prior to actually being able to deduct it this way on your tax returns. So if the IRS ever came back and audited you and they found out that you were deducting things that were less than $2,500 on your tax return, but you didn't actually record that on your books the same way, maybe you recorded it as a capital improvement to the asset itself, they're going to disallow the deduction. So make sure that your books match your tax records. But back to what this is. So it's $2,500 per invoice or per line item substantiated by the invoice. And so what this kind of means is that we, we no longer want contractors to lump everything together in a scope of work. We actually want them to itemize if possible. Now, if you're replacing 10 windows, for instance, and the line item says window replacement $3,000, you're going to be out of luck. But if the line item says 10 windows for $3,000, we can divide that $3,000 by the 10 windows. Or if the contractor itemizes each window, so there are 10 line items that say window for $300 each, that all falls under that $2,500 threshold. So what happens here is that we can now deduct this expense. We don't have to capitalize and depreciate it over 27 and a half years. And that is huge for real estate investors because it allows, I mean, most of our repairs, unless we're doing major improvements, most of our repairs are going to fall under that $2,500 threshold. So it's really important to keep that in mind as as you are going through and and considering and strategically planning for repairs and improvements to your units or to your to your properties. So what happened with my property is we ended up we ended up actually repairing most of it. Um, but we were able to do it strategically so that I can deduct the majority of the costs that that I incurred to improve the units. And basically, I was just focused on those two things. I was focused on the materiality threshold for the unit of property, and then I was focused on the de minimis safe harbor staying under that $2,500 per invoice or per line item cost. And so now I have a brand new unit. I have Georgia Tech engineers that are happy because they were able to help and and, uh, apply their awesome knowledge. And I have a brand new tenant in there. He's paying a higher rent, and he loves the place. Um, It'll probably stay for a long time. So I touched on unit of property a few minutes ago, and I kind of want to circle back and touch on that again and explain it a little bit more. There are nine units of property, not including the building. The building is a unit of property, but it's also made up of the following units of property. The first unit of property is the HVAC system. The second is the plumbing system. The third is the electrical systems. The fourth would be escalators. Fifth would be elevators. Six would be fire protection and alarm systems. Seven would be security systems. Eight is gas distribution systems. And nine is other structural components identified in publishing guidance from the IRS. That's a fun one, huh? Basically, what the IRS Final Tangible Property Regulations did is they took all of the components of a building and they broke them out into separate units of property. Why did they do this? They did this so that they can more easily say you are substantially improving a unit of property whenever you make a repair to that unit of property. And that would force you to capitalize the repair and depreciate it over a certain number of years, generally 27 and a half years. Prior to these rules, you could theoretically replace the HVAC unit because the HVAC unit is a part is part of the building structural system. 
but you could theoretically make the argument that the HVAC replacement is not material to the building system, the building unit of property. And so what would happen is people would be deducting these HVAC replacements. They would be deducting plumbing improvements, electrical improvements, and the IRS finally had enough and said, you know what, we're going to break all of these out into their separate units of property so that anything that you do to these units of property will likely be considered an improvement, a capital improvement that you have to depreciate rather than a repair. So now it's even more important to make sure that we're keeping the repair and improvement um, rules top of mind whenever we are rehabbing unit, whenever we're rehabbing a property, because we still want to be able to strategically plan so that we can deduct things as a repair rather than having to capitalize things as, a, as an improvement. So how do these new rules affect you? Well, if you have a single family rental, you are kind of going to be out of luck because anything that you do to any of the units of property will likely be considered a material improvement, a substantial improvement to the unit of property. But if you have multifamily property, it might not be a substantial improvement to the system, to that unit of property. So a great example of this, let's say that you have a four unit property, uh, all the HVAC systems are attached to that same property. And let's say that you want to replace one of the HVAC units. So you have four, four HVAC units total, one is shot and you need to replace it or you need to repair it. With a four unit property, when you're replacing one of the HVAC units, remember the, the HVAC system is a unit of property and the HVAC system on your four unit property is considered all four units plus all the ductwork and everything else that goes into the HVAC system to make that four unit property function. So theoretically, if you replace one HVAC unit, you are replacing less than 25% of the HVAC system of that four unit property. So you could theoretically say, hey, I've made a repair to the HVAC system. It's not a capital improvement because it's not a material or substantial improvement to the HVAC system as a whole. And this is where the strategic planning gets really fun because the bigger the multifamily asset that you have, as long as it's all in one building and not like 50 units spread out in, I don't know, 25 separate duplexes. But if you're buying big multifamily assets that are all in one building, the IRS tangible property regulations now are kind of in the palm of your hand. You have a lot more leeway and a lot more flexibility into how you treat various repairs and various improvements. And you compare that with a single family home that has one HVAC unit, you replace that one HVAC unit and you're replacing probably more than 90% of the HVAC system as a whole, which would require you to capitalize and depreciate the expense of that HVAC unit uh, over 27 and a half years. So you're now recovering your cost over a very long time period rather than immediately. And on top of that, you're going to have to pay depreciation recapture whenever you sell the property, which is just not something that we want to do. And I know that this can all be extremely confusing. Uh, so we're definitely going to dive into it a little bit further on a future podcast. Uh, but in the meantime, if you have any questions, feel free to contact me at contact at therealestatecpa.com. You can also sign up for a new client consultation, or if you're one of my current clients, feel free to book another appointment. We'll jump on the phone and talk about it. And just remember to like us on Facebook, like us on Twitter. Sorry, follow us on Twitter. I, I'm new to this whole social media thing from a business perspective, so I've never actually like pushed people to follow me on this type of stuff. But I would love it if you do, because it, it's really going to help out. It's really going to help us with our reach, and we just want to hit a wide tar target audience of people. 
And lastly, sign up for our newsletter. We would love to have you on the newsletter. Uh, basically, the Real Estate CPA newsletter is just going to keep you updated with content releases. So blogs, podcasts, things like that. It will also kind of update you on various tax law changes. So if there's something big happening, kind of like the IRS tangible property regulations, you would receive notice of this and you might be spurred into action to actually schedule an appointment uh, either with me or your current CPA. And I'm planning on having webinars and events like live events at some point in the future. So the Real Estate CPA newsletter will keep you up to date on all of that type of stuff. So sign up. It comes out every two weeks. It's, it's a really cool thing. Well, that's all today, folks. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, We'll have another podcast released next week. B-Hall, signing off.